Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show where we talk about the crossroads of environment and our health. With Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards, as we know, is working on the SoundHealthPortal.com. If you'd like to know more about the SoundHealthPortal.com, I suggest going there, scrolling to the bottom of that page, clicking on the Videos tab, and watching Sherry do a live demonstration with a the volunteer online of her walking them through doing vocal recordings. Because there are a lot of visuals, there are a lot of pie charts with the Sound Health Portal. She's really, with her developers, developed a lot of really great pie charts that will show you like, here's the thing that's, there's a primary thing you want to work on today. It's a great way to get a real context for what the soundhealthportal.com and Sherry Edwards work the kind of information it can generate, the kind of reports it can generate. Oftentimes, the charts are showing something that's hypertonistic too much or hypotonistic, not enough, and they can both be related to things such as the methylation cascade. Or it might be that you're not, you don't have enough because you're not assimilating it or you have too much because you're not assimilating it. So the pie charts really give you a lot of information. So I suggest going to the soundhealthportal.com and watching a video first. And or you can also go there and scroll down to the current campaigns. And campaigns are those uh, software packages that you can run your vocal print through because everything that Cherry do is, does is based on the relationship between the vagal nerve and the voice on how the software looks at those bits and pieces once it's broken down and sees where those states of imbalance are. And some of the current campaigns are stem cells, fibromyalgia, and biodiet, and corona conflict. So if you go to the soundhealthport.com, you scroll down to the campaigns, you sign up for a free membership, then you pick your campaign, and the system walk you through doing two 30 to 40 second recordings right from your computer. You submit those recordings, and within about two to six hours, typically, you'll get an email with that report. I suggest sitting down with a cup of tea and reviewing it because there's a lot of information there. And then when you see that information, if you have a chiropractor, such as Dr. Halpern, meaning somebody who has an open mind, is interested in all sorts of sources of information, you could take that report to them and talk to them about saying, we could, could we work on this? Or haven't we been working on that? And look at this. Well, I'll make so much more sense when you go to the portal, you read the material there, the soundhealthportal.com, watch the video demo. It's a lot clearer. It's a little hard to explain unless you see some of the visuals because it really helps just give it like, oh, there, now I understand that. It's, it's hard to express. I carry around a Samsung Go mic, which is just a little pocket mic, and so when I'm visiting somebody, I can just plug it into their computer and go, here, let's do this right now. It's really great to have it online now. So powerful. To hear and share replays of this show, about 15 to 20 minutes after you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, just like it sounds, all words, talktomeguy.com. Scroll down that page, and you'll see the show right at the top of the episodes. You're now over 300 shows available there. The site was designed to be very mobile-friendly for people who like to live on, listen on their mobile devices, and that could be a laptop or a computer, or it's also very user-friendly in a browser. 
was designed so it's very mobile friendly. So when you go to that site on your phone, you can just scroll right down the page and at the bottom of the show description where all the links and all the links that the doctor and I talk about today will be in those show notes. And at the bottom of that is a player that you can listen to right from your phone and also links to audio players, everything from Audible to Pocket Cast to Dog Catcher to everything, IA Podcasts or Google Podcasts, lots of links to listen. With that, Dr. Mark Halpern is a chiropractor, author, lecturer, and certified heart math practitioner who is also certified in additional healing modalities, including Psych-K and Ho'oponopono. In both his personal and professional life, Dr. Mark has been drawn to methods that promote optimal health and healing of the brain, body, and spirit. But for many years, he has also been living a double life. To the outside world, he was a confident and capable chiropractor with a growing practice. He excelled at sports, and whenever he could, he succeeded at physically demanding extreme and often dangerous outdoor adventures. Yet this was a man suffering from crippling anxiety when not with a patient or hanging from a cliff. During the initial COVID lockdown, Dr. Mark made the conscious decision to turn what was becoming a disastrous situation into an opportunity to face his biggest fears. He literally reviewed every book, therapy, and method he had tried during his quest to reduce or eliminate the anxiety he experienced for over 30 years. It was a powerful process that enabled him to eliminate the circumstances, habits, or experiences that didn't serve him, and to create a coherence between his heart, mind, and body. Thus, the Coherence Revolution was born. The book and online course, Coherence Revolution, Finding Flow on Your Journey to the Present Moment, were created to teach people how to self-regulate and engage in self-inquiry, necessary to create an inspired, healthy, and vibrant life. Dr. Halpern joins us today to discuss the coherence revolution and to eliminate what that means for you. Welcome, Dr. Mark. Hi, thank you for having me. I want to start in a slightly odd location, but this will come together. <laughs> okay. What, what is coherence? Well, I think we all intuitively know coherence because it's really at its very basis, it's, it's, it's being in sync or being in balance within yourself, within the world around you, with the people around you. It's, you know, when an athlete says that they were in the zone and they, you know, they had just competed and they felt in the zone, that's coherence. You know, when you walk into a room and there's someone that just, the, the energy you feel from that person, you just want to go over and talk to them, that's coherence. And, you know, the, the opposite is also true. You know, when you walk into a room and there's someone there that their energy doesn't suit you, that's incoherence, you know, um, and when our, when our digestive system is functioning properly and it's working with our breathing rhythm and when it's working with our heart rhythm, that's coherence. And so, uh, you know, when you talk about coherence, it can either be within your own body, it could be within the world around you, within relationships, but it's really about being in balance and in sync. Uh, and ultimately, it's really the most resilient, uh, effective state to be in physiologically because when you're in coherence within yourself, uh, that's when you make the best decisions. That's when you're in less pain. That's when you sleep better. It's really all about how do we get our, our body rhythms in tune with each other so that we're efficient in healing and functioning the way we always, uh, you know, we're supposed to. And incoherent revolution, you write about having anxiety in your teens. Was there a, an event or a, something that occurred in your youth that you've had that anxiety as a, as a thing for much of your, most of your life? 
Well, you know, it, it's interesting for me, you know, if you look at my childhood, no one would notice anything. I was a very happy, confident child. Um, in my recollection, I've gone through it. I mean, with all the different therapies and therapists and all the things I've done, I've gone through my journey so many times. And, you know, really, it, it was nothing more than grade six, seven, eight angst, you know, the, the type of stressors that most teenagers go through. Um, and I think I just started developing really bad thinking and behavior and the way my brain would start developing these thought processes that would start racing. And I think what most people don't realize is when you start thinking in these ways, uh, you almost practice it. It becomes a habit. And as you, as you practice it over and over and over without knowing it, they become these ingrained neurological patterns. And so even though I don't think I went through anything different than, you know, most of my cohort did with, uh, just the anxieties of grade, you know, seven, eight, grade 12, um, 12, 13 years of age, 14 years of age. I don't think mine was all that different other than the way I perceived it at the time and the way I started developing these negative habits. And, you know, as a teenager, I didn't talk to anybody about it. I didn't have uh, parents that I was, uh, I would talk to about it. No one really discussed these kind of things. And so literally I just developed these patterns over, over years that, continued into my 20s, continued into my 30s. Um, and, you know, even, even today, some of those triggers are still there from when I was 13 years old. Uh, they're just ingrained. And so the idea is you've got to start um, to rewire yourself and to, to start creating better neurological patterns. But uh, mine just really developed over time uh, from a young child. When I interviewed uh, Bruce Lippin the first time in the long time ago, 90s, early 2000s, when his first book mm -hmm. came out, and I heard him a lecture at a small venue, and we got to talk afterwards, and I really, we laughed because I'd interviewed him before I saw him lecture. I came up with the phrase, our cells are listening, and because he was mm -hmm. talking about, at that time, he was really talking about the receptor sites on the cells, the sort of like antenna-like structures that are in a cell looking for the right hormone or looking for a message. And as his work evolved down to the years, he really began to expand that to environmental factors and emotions and everything else. Back in the That's early right. days, he was really talking more as a DNA geneticist kind of thinking guy. That's right. But then it evolved into, I was really like, no, our cells are listening. So if we keep telling ourselves something, they're going to go, okay, all right, we heard that. We believe you. And so it's so, that's why I'm such a, we were talking a little bit about the before the show started. That's why I think coherence is such a powerful thing because it really gets us back to that place of being here now. Mm -hmm. And being there is such a powerful place to be. And you had, as you said, you had an amazing journey in Coherent Revolution between medications and discovering your emotions with music and looking at various protocols. And you just you researched and did a lot of fun, interesting things. I, I don't quite have the right words there. And then go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to say, I was always in search. Uh, you know, I always thought that if I tried everything, if I searched for the energy worker, the, the, you know, the person that was doing some really alternative stuff, as a, and as well as the, the Western base, I just figured I would try everything and eventually I would find the thing, the one thing that would finally help me and I would get over it and I'd get past the anxiety and then I'd live a normal life. Like I always thought that I would get there. 
And then, you know, over years, you start really, there is no there. There is no one thing. You've got to start creating systems and procedures in your life that's going to help you live the most optimal life you can. But there's no one magic thing that you're going to figure it out. All your stress is going to go away, and then you're going to live your life. And I always imagined that I would find that one thing. You know, well, and as you said, it was always about being in the moment, which is right. really what is the one thing. Is when you're right. in the it moment, is the one thing, right. And so it's, it's yeah. much too simple and obvious. So wait, that's it? Really? No. Yes, yes. And then, and then you discovered, this really did make me chuckle as I was reading the book, and then you discovered the Grateful Dead, as you do, <laughs> yeah. as one does. I have been there. And what were your what were your ahas? You had really wonderful, amazing ahas from being at massive concerts with the Grateful Dead. What was that? Well, you know, well, that was uh, you know that was my sixteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, nineteen years old, and you know I did experience anxiety already at that time. You know, by sixteen, seventeen, I had already had these patterns, uh, but my friends and I were fairly. Um, explored it and we wanted to see what the world uh, had to offer and you know at that point we were already past the 60s this was in the late 80s so we kind of missed the hippie days but we tried to create it for ourselves and so we would travel all over the country following the band around and and watching these concerts and the music itself uh you know i'm sure many bands do this but when you're following the graceful dead you know you obviously get into the scene and the and the music and how it hits you and there were so many times that you'd be sitting in the audience and the music would wash over you. And one thing that was special with the Grateful Dead is the audience was a big part of the experience. And so you could feel when the energy of the entire stadium came together and, uh, you know, you didn't need any other stimulants in your body. You, you felt like you were, you were gaining energy from this crowd and the music. And, you know, the band all, often said that the crowd was the, the, the other member of the band because, uh, together with the band, it was just this amazing amount of energy. And so talking about coherence, I think that was the first place that I ever felt um, sort of this um, community of people being in coherence with each other. And it was very, very powerful, and you know, to be in that setting. And I'm sure now many people get that even at sporting events. You know, when you're in a sporting event and everybody is feeling the same emotion of, you know, love or disappointment or whatever it is. Uh, and you can really use that to your own benefit uh, when you start to learn how to um, use the energy around you. And so uh, I just felt that was such a great start for me to see how music affected myself, literally at a cellular level, how I would buzz just from the, the way the music hit me. And did you, along the way, because you're an extreme sportist, meaning whether it was bicycling yes. or rock climbing or some kind of extreme sport in I was I was a touring cyclist. I was that kind of cyclist. I was more the calm, casual cyclist, not so much the jumpy running yeah. around bicyclist. And because I was trying to find my own coherence, and that for me was the pedaling of doing 100 miles a day kind of yeah. thing where you just go into a state. And yeah. part of it is to avoid the discomfort, and the other is to have the joy of bicycling in beautiful country. And oh, it's very meditative. It's very meditative. And... Do you think that part, did you observe when you were doing, like, let's say you were rock climbing, which I cannot yeah. imagine. Let me just put that right there. I know I'm a person who likes my feet on the ground or tires below me. That's about it. And <laughs> yeah. were there times when you were climbing or doing some event 
a sport event of some kind, did you bump into that coherent state or and or at the same time, were you so busy not trying to die that you really didn't get to observe that? Or did you have moments well, later on going, wow, I felt really at peace while I was doing that? For me, it was all about that coherent state. You see, most people got nervous about doing jumping from a plane, you know, jumping off a cliff or whatever it was. But since I experienced anxiety so much in my day-to-day life, in just normal everyday-to-day things, whether it's going to work, going to school, going out for social time, whatever it was, that I was already experiencing anxiety. I didn't really know many other emotions. Right? I didn't feel a lot of anger. I felt anxiety. I didn't feel a lot of disappointment. I felt anxiety. And so when it came to my search for sort of a, uh, a state that's non-anxious, uh, I found these, these states, whether it was scuba diving, jumping off a cliff or jumping out of a plane, that when you were doing that, you were forced to be in the moment. And you couldn't think about anything else. You were, when you're falling from a plane, your senses, you know, you're seeing what's going on around you. When you're, when you're uh, scuba diving 100 feet under the water and all you have is your, your visual sense, you're, you're there in the moment. And so those moments were peace. They were um, non-anxious moments. Those are the moments I live for. And so for me, being, I would do anything to get into that state. Um, and, you know, to this day, I still, whether it's I go for a walk with the dog or, or my family or whether I'm going out to play hockey or whether I'm going skiing, it's all about getting myself into such a, a zone in that, in that moment because when I'm in that moment, I don't feel anxiety and that, that's where I want to be. You know, I figured out a long time ago that when I was left to my own devices, if I was thinking, if I was thinking about the future, well, I just felt anxious. When I started thinking about the past, I would get more depressed and down, and, and those kind of chemicals would fill my brain. So uh, anything I could do to put myself in the moment was where I wanted to be. And so these, these really intense moments uh, were very easy to get, in, get into the moment because you had no choice. <laughs> you know, when you're skiing down powder and about to you know, avoid a cliff, uh, you, know, you have to be present. And so I, I enjoy those moments. I, uh, throughout my life, and the audience is tired of hearing about it, but it's still true. Uh, I was a chef on and off for 20 years. I would do it for about four or five years at a time. And the thing about being a chef that you don't know, but now it makes me want to like gather chefs together and talk about this. As the lead chef in the kitchen, you are kind of the coherent director. Unintentional. I don't think chefs would ever think this way, but knowing heart math work and your work, I think it, it comes to mind is because if you're not present when you're dealing with knives, boiling things, hot, burny things, danger at any given moment, I know the food network makes it all look very like, Oh, we're beating egg whites in a copper bowl. It's dangerous work. <laughs> and you have to be very focused on what you're doing. And, and you have a, Line cooks, they're focused pretty much on their specific area, whereas the chef that's running the kitchen has to see everything and know everything because you're the one getting the food out in order. And so there was that. I thought about it years later that I was in a very coherent state when I was in the cacophony of a kitchen. My mind was quiet because I've always had what I would call head noise, meaning a box of marbles up there rolling around. 
And, but when I was in a kitchen, I was completely focused because you, if you didn't stay focused, particularly starting out as a line cook or something like that, if you're on a grill managing five to 10 items, or if you're on the uh, saute station where you're managing maybe five or seven saute pans at once, you have to be very much there and really mm-hmm. focused on what you're doing because if not, you're going to burn something or you're going to undercook something. You really have to attention to everything you're doing. So it really brings you into focus. And I knew a number of people, and I think that was as I watched n- numerous shows with somebody like Anthony Bourdain when having read his book, Kitchen Confidentials, there was that same thing of your life is kind of, uh, oh boy, you know, possibly questionable. But the moment you go into the kitchen, you're there. That's what you're doing. That's all you're doing. You're not right. thinking about anything else. So I relate it that way. I've been in cycle teams, bicycling teams, and you have the lead person out there is the leader, and you're following that cadence. You're following that rhythm. You're all in the same kind of, but you are in a coherent state with a pack. It's like being in a pack, Mm -hmm. any kind of pack. Wolves are probably in a very coherent state. It's all about the pack. It's all about survival, and wolves stop every 20 minutes and play. They are a very pack-oriented animal. And I think they're, that coherent is how they lead their life. Because if you get out of yeah, coherence right. in nature, something can kill you. <laughs> There's that. And I'm going to jump from that to when does, when does becoming a chiropractor enter your vision? Was that part of your quest for coherence? Or was that a way to do it? Or how does that happen? You know, not at all, really. Uh, when I got into chiropractic, I, I knew I really, I was fairly good at school. So I knew that I could do almost anything um and chiropractic i was a sport i was really into sports and i hurt myself a heck of a lot of times so uh you know for me getting into chiropractic was more about how do i fix my physical body and for me it was a really big uh, eye-opener when i got into chiropractic and within the first few weeks i realized there was this incredible philosophy about healing from you know top down inside out allowing the body and the brain to to function at its optimal level and by adjusting the spine you get to stimulate the nervous system and and get it into a coherent state so i i never knew anything about that until i entered chiropractic but certainly once i did in uh, the early 90s uh, i've now been a chiropractor for a little over 25 years and um, it has certainly been a big part of my coherence journey uh, you know, I've, a lot of the techniques I've used for myself, I do with my patients. And uh, I think being a chiropractor has saved me in many respects because, as you were just saying, when you were in the kitchen, um, that your, your focus was there. You had to be focused. And I had so many years of anxiety, especially you know, when I went through a divorce a decade ago, and I would go into my office, and I could be in my room, my, my office, my mind racing, feeling anxiety, and then all of a sudden, five or six people show up, and I have to turn into the inspiring chiropractor. And I would shut my door, put gate with them in the room, and I'd be one-on-one with them. And all of a sudden, I was there with them, and my focus was on them, and my focus was on helping them achieve their uh, best health and their best life. And, you know, maybe an hour would go by, and I'd realize, wow, I didn't feel anxiety for a second in the last hour because I was fully engaged with the people that I was helping. It was only when I left myself to my own, you know, my own mind to start erasing. And so, it, you know, I had to have different techniques and, and uh, go-tos when I was on my own. But when I was with people in terms of helping them, uh, it saved me. 
And so that was a really good thing for me. I never missed a day of work. A lot of people, you know, find themselves locked in their house when they get debilitating anxiety. And for me, I knew inherently that as soon as I would get to work and be with people, the anxiety would go away. So uh, I've never missed a day of work in my life simply because I knew it was going to put me in a coherent state. Wow. I've hung I've I've spent a lot of time with chiropractors. I had an uh I got my degree as a master herbalist in the we'll say eighties because much further back is too old. Um eighties and had a national <laughs> mail order catalog in a retail store. So I had a lot of chiropractors that I worked with. So I've spent a lot of time with that and I've I've known some very successful, meaning great practitioner chiropractors, multiple modalities uh, I had one friend who had an office where he had a acupuncturist, he had a medical doctor, and he had a therapist all in his office. And this was in the 90s before people were really thinking that way. And he was, when he was at work, he was kind of a goofball. I mean, a really smart goofball. But in his personal life, he was a little wonky. But when he was at work, when he was in the office, when he was adjusting people, because sometimes I would just sit and watch him, he was there. I mean, he was mm-hmm. completely 100% with his patients. And it made a big difference. In that, and that's why he had the successful practice he did, because people came there and he was fully present with each person. He was always sort of running things. He had great managers. But it's very much what you're saying. You're really there doing it. And I think the mm-hmm. work is, is more effective when you're really there doing it, the intention of what you're doing. And it's well, really... I mean, they, they, they feel it. The, the, the patient feels it. You know, I know, I know uh, a typical adjustment with me um, might take five minutes. Um, it doesn't take a long time to adjust the spine. And I have friends that might spend 20 minutes with their patients because they're doing the talking and they're doing all kinds of other things that are adjunctive to the adjustment. And mm-hmm. I know that if you were to pull, you know, someone's patients that they spend 20 minutes with and mine that I spend five minutes with, I know that my patients would tell you that my the intention that they feel and the support that they feel is as greater, greater than someone who spends more time with them because it's not about the amount of time. It's the amount of intention, the amount of care, the amount of, uh, you know, um, uh, the amount of um, care and love that you're showing them when they're with you. And so I, my patients feel that whether it's in five minutes or in a half hour, they're leaving feeling supported and cared for. And I think that's the most important thing. And when does the heart math work? Well, now let me back that up. Um, Let's talk about, I want to move into your, I think it's section three, where you really talk about coherence. There's a lot of other really wonderful material in the book, but I really want us to talk about coherence and heart math and HRV. So when does heart math enter your life? So back somewhere 2000. Five, I'm going to say 2004-2005, I was just at a bookstore and, um, you know, looking around for the next thing that maybe is going to help get rid of the anxiety. And so I came across HeartMath. Uh, I read one of the books. It was called HeartMath for Stress. I think I also read HeartMath for Anxiety, which I realized was the books are very, very similar. Um, and then I ordered the biofeedback equipment so that I could practice at home. And I really dove, dove in and um, I would say the first go-around, which lasted, I'm going to say, three to five months, um, I I was diligent, but I didn't fully grasp it, and I didn't uh, practice it in the right way, and I really just treated it as deep breathing. 
And so I did, I did feel relaxed when I was doing it, but I didn't fully get the concept. And it sort of disappeared from my life for a few years. Uh, and then 2010, 2011, um, I remember kind of revisiting it. And if you know the, the technology at all, when you hit a coherent rhythm, when you start to practice coherence, the, the technology will make a beep or a ding, and it'll turn green. And so I remember one day I was sitting in my bed, and I was meditating, and I was with, with heart math, it involves breath, it involves visualization, and it also involves creating a emotion, an uplifting, renewing emotion. And so I remember lying in my bed and thinking about a cloud, I was thinking about a beach, I was thinking about everything that could relax me, and nothing was working. The technology was not going into coherence. I didn't feel any different, and I was getting frustrated. So I sat there thinking, what can I do? What can I do to change this? And all of a sudden, I thought, I'm going to visualize my daughter. And I visualized her jumping into my arms and giving me a hug. And as soon as she jumped in my arms and gave me a hug, I not only thought about the hug, but I felt the hug. I felt her arms around me. I felt what it's like when she gives me a hug. And almost immediately, I was doing the breath work and I was doing the visualization. And as soon as I added the hug in, I felt this sensation come over my body, and then really I didn't need to know, I didn't need to hear it, but the technology made a bing, and it went into coherence. And it was the first time that I, I could say to myself, okay, there's a different feeling. It's called coherence. I can feel it. I just achieved it, and I can feel the difference, and I know what I did to achieve it. And so that was the big breakthrough for me. And after that, 2011-12, I started practicing more. I started using it with patients more. By 2016, I started going to see Dr. Joe Dispenza, who um, does meditation retreats and teaches sort of quantum physics and meditation together. Really, uh, it's really inspiring. And he was using heart math people to do some research on the brain and on the heart. And so I, I really felt validated in what I was doing. So uh, I decided to get certified um, several years ago and started teaching it more. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, I realized I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to see patients again in my office. How can I help people? How can I support my family? And I thought, well, I can teach, I can teach heart math. I can teach it online. Um, and that's when I put together the entire program called Coherence Revolution, which uh, the book discusses heart math, but the program really, I teach heart math and I go into it and give people the, the opportunity to start practicing the emotions that they want to feel as part of their life. Because when you start practicing the emotions that you want to feel, they become more familiar to you. And as they become more familiar to you, it's easier and easier to reproduce those emotions. And so uh, the course really helps you dive into it. So my journey of, of using HeartMath has really evolved over the last 15 years uh, up to the last three or four years being really quite intense and learning, learning um, for myself and also how to teach people how to get coherence through the use of uh, HeartMath techniques. Wonderful. And please talk to us about uh, HRV or heart rate variability. What is sure. that and why do we want to care? Sure. I mean, that in a good way. Heart, heart rate, yeah, well, heart rate variability is very interesting. You know, most people, they'll check their heart rate and they'll say, oh, I've got a, a resting heart rate of 74, you know, 65 or 85. You know, it depends on the person. But heart, heart rate is not the same. Heart rate goes up when you breathe in and heart rate goes out, uh, uh, goes down when you breathe out. So when you take an in-breath and your heart rate goes up, let's just say to 90 beats a minute, 
and then you breathe out and your heart rate goes down to approximately 70. 90 minus 70 is 20. So 20 is your heart rate variability. It goes up to 90 and down to 70. And what HeartMath has found in their research is that the greater the HRV, the more adaptable you are to life. And in fact, there's been mortality studies showing that you actually live longer. And when you're younger, your HRV is, def is, um, is definitely larger, and as you age, it can diminish. And so as you train your HRV to be larger and you train yourself to increase the HRV, um, you can actually increase the amount of years you live. You can increase the quality of your life. And the fact is, is most people who have a very um, abnormal HRV or a small HRV are chest breathers. Instead of having an HRV of about 20, they have an HRV of two to five. And it's because they're doing really shallow chest breathing, which can set off a stress response in and of itself. So if you can start to get into a nice rhythm of breathing in through the nose, out through the mouth, roughly five seconds in, five seconds out, you can start to get into almost a sine wave with your breath. And when you get into that sine rhythm, you can increase your HRV and the HeartMath tools teach you how to do that with uh, a biofeedback through the, through the technology. And you can increase your HRV so that you are uh, changing your adaptability. You become more adaptable to life. You become more adaptable to stress. And once you do that, your heart rhythm is the strongest rhythm in your body. It's about 40 times stronger electrically than the brain's rhythm. And so if you can get your heart rhythm into a really nice coherent sine wave and increasing your HRV, you can then do the same thing to your brain waves. And once you do that to your brain waves, it affects the centers of your brain that affects decision making. It affects the way you deal with pain. It affects the way you sleep. It affects the way you heal in your immune system. So now you can entrain the brain's rhythm to the heart rhythm. And then eventually the digestive system and all of the rhythms of your body will start to entrain to the strongest rhythm, which is your heart. And so by increasing your heart rate variability, you can start to change literally the way you think, the way you feel, the way you interact with those around you. I'm chuckling because I, I think of your, pra your chiropractic practices. You walk in, the receptionist greets you and takes you to her room where you sit down and put on an M-wave and chill out for a few minutes and get your EMV and your, get your HRV in balance, and then you get adjusted. So that's my right. vision. And, that, and that's exactly it. Oh, that is. Oh, I'm just making that up. Oh, that's yes. perfect. No, <laughs> that's that's, we, we, I have patients that will come in. They're gonna go, they, they sit down, they do their M-wave, they, they get into a coherent rhythm, and then they come in, they get adjusted, and it's just part of, part of what they do. We use other technologies, too, uh, one of them being brain tap, which is um, almost like a forced meditation. It, it changes your brain waves by wearing these glasses, and it's like forced meditation. So the idea is that when people come in, they can use these glasses, they can practice their, their heart math, and they can get their adjustment. And all three are essentially to help the brain communicate with the body as efficiently as possible. And when you, have you always used um, HRV in your chiropractic practice, or was it a time when you didn't yet? I, I would say I introduced it sometime around 2013, 2014. So I, I started being a chiropractor in 1996. So okay. once I started with uh, heart math, I did pick it up and then eventually I added it to my practice because it really is a, a, a simple way to make a huge difference in someone's life. Just show people how to breathe. And one, once, once you start to breathe differently, just forget about even heart mass. Just learning how to do some stomach breathing to pause and to take a breath through your heart can change your entire day. 
And so the, the, I, I, I saw right away this was something I wanted to add because patients can practice breathing at home very easily. It's not something that costs them any money, and it's something they can do anywhere at any time. And since you saw patients before you using heart HRV and after, do, do you, what do you observe in terms of how patients hold an adjustment? Because the coherence puts you into a state of more ease. And I would think that after an adjustment that that might last longer. Am I, is, that, uh, is that something that you have observed from having worked with people who didn't have HRV and now they do as a part of your adjusting? Does that, do you see a difference in how long they hold and all that sort of intake? What I, what I see, I mean, that, that's part of it, how long the adjustment holds. What, 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 I, what I feel is that people who, the patients that uh, get adjusted versus the patients that get adjusted and learn heart math, the difference is um, the people get better quicker. Um, their body becomes more resilient quicker. Uh, if they go home and, you know, they used to say their back pain, you know, would last for hours at a time and, you know, maybe the average person takes six weeks to uh, really get, see some good changes. People who are practicing HRV, it, it might cut it down to two or three weeks. The idea is that your body just becomes that much more resilient and able, able to heal. Uh, but since I've done, I haven't done any you know, double-blind studies on this, I also feel that the people that are listening to me and doing the heart coherence, and those are the people that are committed to themselves. And so that, that's, I think, part of it as well, is once people are open to this idea of learning heart math and learning about HRV, uh, these are the people that are willing to look at themselves and to make some changes because they, they understand that the way they're doing things aren't working. Um, you know, because there's lots of people who I will bring this up with and they will, you know, say, sure, 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 but they actually don't do it. Uh, they don't take the time. Uh, and life is just too fast-paced and, it, and it's just not a priority for them. So I also do think that the people who take the time to learn it, um, those are people that are already wanting this. They want to heal. They want to learn. They want to uh, become more resilient. So um, I've seen that in my practice, but uh, I, I'd like, uh, to, your, to your point, I would love to do actual studies on this so I can see uh, the difference between the people. I think it would be awesome if some of the chiropractic colleges, I'm not sure where you graduated mm -hmm. from, but it wouldn't be awesome if they would do a study of that, of a double-blind where you had patients who didn't yeah. get heart math, didn't do HRV, and then other group that did and see the differences of yeah. all of that. I suspect that one of the other effects of being in coherence on a regular basis is that it would probably also lead one to have a, a cleaner diet, less sugar, less carb madness, because your, your state feels better. That, well, I, I know, can't form that into exactly a question, it. but there's a question there. <laughs> well, no, but that's exactly it. When, if, if you look at the, both the book and the course, a huge part of it is about the self-inquiry. And what I mean by self-inquiry is we, we break down each of the senses. Your diet would be the digestive system, so that would be, um, you know, that's part of, uh, part of the way your body's functioning. So we will dive into taste and smell and your feeling and audio and uh, visual, and we're looking for things that deplete you or renew you. So when it comes to your diet, there is a part of the course where you're going to dive into it and create uh, a plan for yourself to eliminate the food that doesn't work for you and to make lists of all the foods that do work for you. So 
it's all about understanding yourself because for me, for instance, eating strawberries might be very coherent. It, it might ground me. The, the, the berry uh, itself might be very good for my system, whereas for you, you might, the sugar in it might be too much or it might react with your system in a different way and it's incoherent for you. And so the idea is that by going through the program, you will have your diet figured out to what works for you and you're going to be able to go through the stages and the worksheets that we provide so that you can put together a meal system plan, however you want to call it, that's going to work for you. But you do that audio, you do that for visual, you do that for each of your senses, because the idea is for you to wake up in the morning and know what your toolbox has. So if you're in a specific mood on a Monday morning going to work and you want to change your emotional state, what can you do from a a visual standpoint? What can you do from a food standpoint? What can you do from a kinesthetic standpoint? You know, even the clothes you wear. You know, if it's tight and loose or tight or loose versus soft versus hot versus cool, all of these things are going to produce different emotions in your body. And so the idea is for you to do the self-inquiry over the six weeks so that at the end of it, you go, I know how to change my emotional state. I can walk in this area. I can look at these pictures. I can listen to this music. I can smell this fragrance. And so the idea is that you have a toolbox that no matter what, where you are and what state you're in, you can use the world around you to create coherence in your nervous system and in your physiology. And I'm going to jump here for a moment because I, it just comes to mind. This is more of a chiropractic question. However, it fits into the same arena of health is talk to us for a moment. I heard you or read you use a phrase, a term text neck. Yes. Talk about that. For a minute. Well, tech neck is also known as text neck, and hmm. uh, the one I really like is called digital dementia, uh, because we are all looking down, um, and as our heads fall forward, it straightens out our cervical spine, and as it straightens out our cervical spine, the space inside the canal where our spinal cord goes is narrowed. And so, you know, your, your cervical spine is supposed to be curved. And so if you picture you have a metal rod and that metal rod is hollow, if you take that metal rod and you straighten it, there will be less space inside that metal rod. It's just basic physics. When you straighten something that's curved and it's hollow, there's less space inside of it. And so if your neck, which is supposed to have a 42-degree curve, if you're looking down all the time and you're looking at your devices and your computer and your phone and your head is starting to straighten out and you're starting to lose the cervical curve, you start to actually compress the spinal cord. It gets narrower in the, in the spinal canal. And so if your spinal cord is always under uh, stress, it's always being compressed, it's now facilitated. It's, it's, under more, it's under more strain. And so it'll affect every function of your nervous system. So they're now doing studies that can, can connect text neck to digestive issues, to lung issues, to mood issues like depression. Uh, almost every function of your nervous system can be affected because the cervical spine, every, ner- every message from the brain has to pass through the cervical spine to get to the rest of the body. And so in our practice, we actually do a technique to uh, regain the cervical curve for people that lose it. Um, and that helps their entire nervous system function better. And so from a coherent standpoint, how can you truly be coherent if your nervous system is always being uh, compressed and, and the spinal cord is under pressure? And so part of uh, getting someone healthy 
is not just getting rid of their pain. It's providing more space for the spinal cord to get through so that they're more, again, resilient and adaptable to life. Uh, and that's really, that's really where TechNet comes in. And are you, um, not a believer, an observer of sitting at your desk all day long working is the new smoking? <laughs> right. Um, I, yeah, it's funny. Uh, sit, sitting is the new smoking because, because of the TechNet. Um, I personally at work have a standing desk. What I recommend that people do is that they have, if they have the ability to have a movable standing desk that you can stand up and sit down, um, because there is no perfect posture, but our bodies were not meant to sit in the 90 degree posture that we sit in our chairs. It, it, you know, there's no other animal on the planet that does what we do. Uh, other <laughs> animals are either on all fours or they're on their haunches. They're not, they're not sitting in this 90 degree posture, which is terrible for us. Um, but for me, what I tell people is either stand up every 10 to 15 minutes, move yourself around. And in between that time, put a stool by your feet so that every five minutes you can move your feet, put your left foot, put your right foot, put both feet. And every time you move your feet, you're changing the angle of your lumbar spine. And then you can also put like a towel rolled up like a log and put that behind your lumbar spine. And every five minutes when you move your feet on in a different position, you can move the log uh, support, the lumbar support, move it up an inch or move it down an inch. And so if you're moving that log up and down an inch every five minutes and you're moving your feet every five minutes and you're getting up every 20 minutes to stretch, by the end of the day, you're not going to have that same strain in your body. Um, however, uh, if, I, if, I, if I pivot this a little bit, um, there's a really cool, I'm not sure how much you know about uh, muscle testing. But in my mm-hmm. course, I teach about muscle testing. Bruce Lipton t- talks about muscle testing, which is when, you're, when your subconscious is in the negative, you can't hold your arm up. And if you've ever had someone muscle test you, if you just literally say the word yes, your arm should be strong. And if you say the word no, and you have someone try to uh, you know, uh, push your arm down when, it's, when you're standing up and holding your arm out to the side, saying yes to no, you're going to get two different responses in your muscle. And so what you'll find is that what your brain is in the negative, your muscles don't function as well. And so the, the, the subconscious beliefs that you hold directly impact the amount of pain or back pain that you experience. Because if you're someone that's sitting at their desk all day and you are opposing gravity and your muscles are holding you up and gravity is pushing down on you, if your mindset is, I love this job. I love life. I've got plenty of finances. I've got lots of love in my life. My life is great. Well, then your muscles stay strong all day. You're, you're opposing gravity. But for most people, they're sitting at their desks and they're looking at their watch saying, oh, my God, it's only 9 o'clock. I've already been yelled at by my boss. I'm, I've got troubles at home. I'm running out of money. I've got social problems. And their brain is racing on all the negative stuff they have going on in their life. And if you muscle tested their muscle, like their arm, it would be weak. But it's not just their arm. It's their entire muscular system. And so when they're sitting at their desk and their back muscles are trying to oppose gravity, because their brain is in or subconscious mind is in the negative, their muscles aren't supporting them in opposing gravity. And so now you've got the people that at the end of the day say, my goodness, my back kills. I've got digestive issues. I'm exhausted. I've got headaches. But it would be a totally different scenario if they weren't in that stress state the whole day, the fight or flight state. And so it, it really, you cannot divide out the physical and the emotional. And although people come to me, they believe their problems are emotional. I mean, sorry, they believe their problems are physical. 
unless I feel comfortable enough with that person or I know that they've bought into who I am and we have a comfortable enough conversation, then I can maybe open it up and say, look, I know you've got physical problems going on. However, if we don't address some of the underlying emotional stress that you're feeling, you're going to keep getting these same problems because your, your, your physical problem is actually being manifested by your emotional system. And so that's why I also got uh, certified in, in Psych-K because when you practice Psych-K, uh, you can start to help people change their subconscious beliefs, which help to keep their physical system stronger. So that was a bit of a, a bit of a detour, but I think that no, that was great. Uh, no, no, it's an interesting. Yeah, that was that was a great. That's why I threw it in now because I think that's really an important piece. Is the idea of for me, it's a different. I had a slightly different skew on it because for twenty years, one of the things. But as a chef, you're in motion constantly. If you're standing still, something's wrong. <laughs> because you should be moving somewhere. So you're moving, you're leaning, you're hauling, you're doing something. You're not just standing in one place. So after, in between, I did a lot in the tech world, and I'd sit at a desk and I never felt right. And so I haven't sat down at a desk for over 12 years. I'm at a standing station now. I can't imagine, right. I'm at the point where I can't imagine sitting at a desk for any period of time. I'm so much physically much more comfortable standing that, and it drives people that I work with crazy because it's like, don't you have a chair? Where's my chair? And I'm so like, you, no, you I don't have chairs. Different level. Um, mm -hmm. I saw a doctor in New York on, on uh, he, I guess it might be on Facebook. I saw his video, but his desk is a treadmill. So he's actually walking all day as he's doing work. And I thought that was incredible. He's just always in motion. Uh, you know, maybe he's not walking all that quick, but at least he's just moving. And I thought, maybe not everybody can do that, but that's brilliant. I love that. I love that idea. I know somebody with that kind of station. They have a, a treadmill station, and they're a coder. Mm -hmm. and, they, and, and she finds it just miraculously beneficial to actually be in slight motion, even if it's casually walking while she's coding yeah. because it keeps her mind and her body limber while she's doing it. And yeah. she's coding for hours every day. Uh, I, I interviewed a guest that I happen to know, uh, Jordan Gruber, wrote a book on rebounding. And he has a rebounder at his station. And so even if he's not bouncing like you think of on a rebounder, but just gentle, gentle motion all day long mm -hmm. on his rebounder. Yeah, really and, and I busted him while we were actually doing a, a couple of shows. He would be rebounding very softly and he's using a rebounder that uses a bungee cord style instead of a spring. So they're silent. But I could tell by how his voice sort of pulsed. And I was like, you're rebounding, aren't you? He said, well, not big, but I am in motion. And it, I think it's just a great idea of reworking the idea of you sit at a desk. It just seems so unnatural. I've never seen a wolf sit at a desk. I'll use that. Right. Say. <laughs> exactly. And, and it just seems like, again, once you become in the, in the school or the feeling of coherence or entrainment, it just seems like your body will resist sitting at a desk more because it just seems like it, it just makes it so static. We're, we're animals that are in motion and standing just seems we're built to stand unless we're going to get all fours. And I haven't figured out how to do a show on all fours. Yet. <laughs> um, well, so it's yes, just, we, we, are, we are meant to move and that, that yeah. motion is life. Motion is life. That's a good t-shirt. I look forward to the t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> The merch. I want a piece of that merch. Uh, that's a great thing. Um, yeah. And 
And do you see that with people who do regular coherence practice that in some ways it begins to sort of almost automatically change their diet and their thinking? Is that observable? Because once you start to discern what works for you, and this is where, again, the self-inquiry comes in, then you can make what I call a process for yourself, a life process. Um, and that process will involve the food you eat, the thoughts you think, the people that you uh, spend time with, the, the things that you engage in. But once you figure out what works for you, it doesn't make sense to go back. I mean, like me and my wife sometimes have this, this, um, this discussion about what are we going to eat for dinner? We don't feel like cooking tonight. Let's order. And ordering was always kind of this treat. But after mm-hmm. a while you go, well, what am I treating myself to? Because, um, I know last time we ate that, I didn't feel so good afterwards. So we're treating ourselves to not feeling great afterwards. So the idea is, <laughs> yes, you want to have convenience, but you also, once you start to feel what works for you, you don't want to do the other. You, you want to do what works for you. So, you know, it, it might be that making a salad and spending 20 minutes making a salad with all the beautiful, colorful vegetables that you enjoy um, you enjoy that and it's part of your day and it makes you feel better. So you look forward to it and that becomes much more valuable to you than ordering whatever the food that you are going to order that doesn't work for you, you know, ordering a quick pizza that might, you know, make you upset for the next uh, 24 hours. So um, I absolutely think that once you've done the self-inquiry for yourself and you know what works for you, not for other people, um, that's when people do make the change because they see what works. You know, uh, there's an exercise that we do uh, in the program uh, to wrap up the, 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 the senses where we listen to a half hour of music. And in this half hour, there's 15 different tracks from all different genres, everything from classical music to rock to hip hop to you name the country. There's every kind of music in there. And the idea is to see what what your emotional state changes based upon the music you listen to. And as you're listening to the music, you're also doing art. You're doing finger painting. And as you're doing the finger painting, listening to different music, how is your flow changing? And so the idea is to figure out how does music affect you? How does, how does the touch and, and the, the visual colors, how, once you figure out how these things work for you, then you can change and you can start to make those changes. And so, you know, to answer your question, once you start figuring out what works for you, the people that have gone through our course, the reports that we get back is now they've got all these tools and all of the, the toolbox to use and that they're so grateful that now they do know what works for them, the food, the, you know, the clothing, the, the, um, the activities, the sports, all of the things that they can now do in their life, um, they now have a toolbox. And that, that really is the purpose here is that by learning heart math and, and learning what works for you, you can change your everyday life. You can create a process that works for you on a daily basis. And as long as you're committed to this process, even if you have a few bad days, you just have to get back on the horse, get back on the process. It's not like there's a destination. You just have to get back on and doing the things that work for you. And also, doesn't our body develop a relation? Doesn't our body like being in, do our bodies like being in coherence? Yes. In other words, it feels natural. It feels when you when you become coherent, like just as an athlete, when you say they're in the zone, you never want to leave that state. That's the state you always want to be in. 
Right. And, you know, there's things that some, you know, even doing, uh, you know, as I was saying, different sports or things like scuba diving or this, that, and the other, I might get nervous beforehand about the anticipation about what may happen. But when you are in the zone, whether it's just because you ate, ate some good food or whether it's because you had a good conversation or whether it's because you went scuba diving, when you're in that zone, you don't want to leave the zone and you want to do more of whatever got you there. And so if you got there by the food you ate or by the people you spoke to or by the events that you just engaged in, you want to do more of it because when you feel coherent, um, it is an addictive state. And I'm hoping that for most people, that's the state they will get addicted to rather than the, the anxiety state that most people are addicted to feeling. Well, and is there, is there seems to be, I, I've done not a lot, but a, enough uh, heart math work or HRV work to know that when you're there, it feels really good because it's, again, because I have a mind like a box of marbles, that it's really quiet. And I don't mean you're like just zenned out. I mean my brain is quiet and I'm focused on the, the things that, that I do and that it feels good. And so do we go into a state of our, our bodies feel good, that it affects the gut because that's the other brain, I think. That yep. It just brings everything into a state of, wow, I, I feel much better in every way. And is there, yep. there, it seems like there would be a, in a very beneficial cascade effect from being in coherence in terms of how it calms down the parasympathetic system. It quiets the brain. The gut is working better. And we're kind of like wolves out being. We don't have to, you know, we're just in the pack and we're all feeling better and the more I feel better, the people around me feel better as well. I believe, is that a thing? Well, you, you actually just said a couple. You actually just said a couple of really uh, true things. W- one is that you know when you are in coherence, um, literally every cell, tissue, and organ in your body is buzzing and resonating at the same frequency. So yes, you feel it in your cells. You feel it in in your body, but you also resonate it uh, outwards. You, uh, you, you send the, the frequency outwards, and HeartMath has done this amazing research where they actually put three people into uh, their own sort of um, cubicles, and they had a fourth person in their cubicle, and they were there just – everybody had a heart monitor on. Three of them were instructed how to get into heart coherence. The other person was just told to sit there and breathe normally. And when the other three got into heart coherence, the fourth person also got into heart coherence. In other words, we are affecting those around us. And so by, re- by sending out coherent rhythms into the atmosphere, you are affecting the electromagnetic field of everybody around you. Mm. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've been able to affect moods of people. You know, for example, you go to a, a, a restaurant and perhaps the waiter is in not the best mood and not giving you the best service. You know, I, I sometimes treat it as a game where I'll do some heart math and try to send out some coherent heart waves just to see if I can have an effect on the people around me. Uh, you know, and sure enough, <laughs> the waiter will come back over. And, you know, uh, I remember one meal, the waiter came back over um, maybe 10 minutes later and just kind of apologized for what was going on in the back and, you know, and apologized for the way things had gone so far. And, you know, I found, well, that's much better than, you know, constantly complaining to them. Maybe I can go and use my own superpower, get myself coherent, and affect those around me. And so I think it is very true that as you get more coherent in yourself, you are helping yourself, but you're also helping and influencing the world around you. I like it. 
And I'm shocked to find that that's like the perfect close. That was so good. Thank you. <laughs> that was great. I didn't that really know we did not plan this. It just came together. That was really great because I, I have to talk, I have to toss in having been in the restaurant business for a long time. I go out to a restaurant where I know some of the crew and stuff. And because of that, I go into a certain state when I walk into a restaurant outside of that chef thing. And I think yes. it's a coherent state, but I hadn't thought it until we were just talking now that I go into a, a certain kind of coherent state because I'm, I'm very at ease. I'm calm about what I'm doing. I know what's going on. And I'll see people that I know, and there'll be, you know, something or something. I'll see a ruckus going on. And then the next thing you know, I'll, the people come over and talk to me, and they'll be better when they come back. And it's just from my interaction. It's from my calmness. It's from an unintentional thing of being in that world of holding space for people in such, for such a long time, I think I go into a coherent state when I go into a restaurant, even if I wasn't by before I got there. So I think that's such a great place to have us go to. Now I, now I have to ask you, or I want to ask yeah. you, where would you like people to find out more about your class, your ah. book, and how do they find out more about your work? Sure. Well, if, uh, two, two ways. First way is go to www.coherencerevolution.com forward slash 2022. So you just go to our website, www.coherencerevolution.com forward slash 2022. Or you can text the word coherence to, and I'm going to give you the number, 647-955-7411. That text coherence to 647-955-7411. And so by doing that, I'm, I'm actually going to offer your listeners a couple things. One is I want people to get this information. So if you go to either of those, you can get yourself a free ebook. You can download the, the ebook for free. It won't cost you anything. The other thing that I wanted to offer, especially for the holidays and if we're going to share the gift of health with people, is I'm offering a 50% off a discount for the workbook and or the six-week live course. And so if you go to the coherencerevolution.com, or not the www.coherencerevolution.com forward slash 2022 or text coherence to 647-955-7411, they can get a free ebook or 50% off the course. And so I really hope people take advantage of it because uh, I think we can, we can help people have an amazing 2022 and really change some lives. Well, and I think that in a certain way, we're, we're back to an earlier question about the Grateful Dead. Now, I know people don't think this because they think of the dead as being something, well, they are something, and that it really is about that bringing a, a coherence. And I think at this time, everything that's going on, we could use more coherence. I yeah. think it would be so good. That's a whole other show. <laughs> so good. <laughs> For, that was great, Mark. Thank you so much. Yeah. And everybody yeah, have a great... thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Everybody else have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.